Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, joined by my partner and founder and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, today we're going to dig into something that I think uh, a lot of founders will go through. Certainly, if you're a multiple-time founder, you've probably had at least one co-founder. And, and I know I get hit with this a lot, and I'm, I'm sure you probably get hit with this even more. And that's that people start to wonder, like something happens somewhere along the journey. People start to wonder, like, is my co-founder really the right person, right? You know, they, 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 we started off engaged, like we were both really, really excited about this and we were passionate and we were ready to throw it all in um, and, and just go whole hog. And now I'm not sure if this is still the right person. And what questions should we be asking ourselves at the point when we, well, you know, either as we're making the selection in the first place, right? That'd be a great place to start. Right? Like when, before you jump into this, here are some things you should think about. But let's just assume for a minute somebody's already got that co-founder and, and there's there's some signs that maybe the, the ship needs some writing. What are the questions that you ask yourself to, to kind of clarify that and, you know, validate that there is an issue and then what to do about it? Part of the issue is that by the time you're asking those questions, it's often too late. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, we all pretty much do these shotgun weddings more often than not. I'm not saying it always happens, but if you kind of dial back and you think about how many startups get together just because there's this center of gravity around the excitement for the idea. Sure. Without an equal amount of kind of time and effort put into, okay, but who are the people? Right. And it often looks something like this. I've got this cool idea and I'm really excited about it. And a bunch of people have validated my idea. So I think it's worth pursuing. I find this one person who's a developer who's willing to work on it for free right now, you know, for equity, what have you. Yeah. And now we're partners and this happens yeah. all the time. All the time. And so it's essentially me saying, I need to get married. I just need to get this marriage thing done. Oh, cool. You're sitting next to me. So I'm going to get married to you because you're willing to get married to me. Yeah. <laughs> We're willing to get married together. And that's the end of my criteria. You know, I don't need a ton of dating. You seem human. You seem, you know, uh, functional. Good enough, right? Yeah. I have this conversation all the time, by the way. Yeah. Like, this is, it's, it's constant. And, you know, sometimes there is no more justification for it than that. If I'm talking to somebody after the fact, they're usually like, well, you know, they were they were in the same room at the same time, or you know, we met at the startup weekend, and, and nothing against startup weekend, but like that's not exactly a great crucible for figuring out whether somebody's really in it for the long haul, right? You're like, well, they were super into it for fifty four hours. <laughs> yeah. right. Right? The Monday problem comes around, right? Um, but yeah, so the the other side of it is though that then you'll have I have people come to me all the time saying like, look, we really we really need a technical co-founder. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Why are you building something like really uh, you know, really uh, innovative and, and technical, something that's never been done before. Like, no, we're, uh, we're, we're launching an e-commerce store and uh, we just don't know how to code anything. And I'm always like, maybe not the right reason to get married. That's like saying like, I'm going to marry a dentist because I want to have straight teeth. Like there are yeah, right, easier right. ways to solve that, right? Because at the time, we're in this really kind of vulnerable state as a founder whereby we have the idea, no one else gives a shit about our idea. Yeah. <laughs> and so anybody that steps forward, right? Yeah, right. It, it has just cleared all the hurdles. 
It's the it's the kindergarten friendship thing, right? It was like you're wearing a blue shirt. I have a blue shirt. Let's be best friends and start a company together, right? Like it doesn't take anything more than that. If you were a couples therapy folks, so to speak, and you were to sit across from them, you know, a month in, two months in, and you were to say, "Okay, how well do you actually know each other?" and you were yeah, asking yeah. you know the simple, stupid dating game type questions, and you realize that that we barely know each other. All we know is we we're both willing to go forward on this thing. And at the time, that was enough. Right. We both like spaghetti. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. Both got a blue shirt, right? (laughs) And so I think what happens is that everyone gets so hyped up about the idea that initially they just overlook everything else, right? It's, It's not for lack of intelligence or anything else like that. It's just I was distracted, bar none. And again, I'm I'm giving it from the sense of the entrepreneur that's taking on a technical co-founder, but I'm going to flip it for a second and say that technical co-founder, you know, the person that's the developer, that went to go work with the person with the idea. And you kind of zoom out and say, wait a minute, lots of people have ideas. Yeah. What makes you good at this idea? And so, right. so here's where I think that this gets masked a little bit, and it's, it's worth mentioning. When people have a good idea, we often assume that they are also capable of pulling it off. <laughs> Statistics will tell us otherwise. <laughs> and it's so easily masked, right? I mean, investors yeah. look for this all the time. You know, they say, hey, yeah, I dig the idea, but who are these people? Right. Right. You know, are you the right people to pull it off? The old jockey and the horse analogy, right? That's exactly it. And, and the, you know, there's, there's popular lore that says among investors, uh, they bet on the jockey, not the horse, the horse being the idea. Because... There are lots of ideas out there. Anybody can have an idea. They're they're fairly free, but being able to pull it off is another thing. So if you're if you're on the technical side, and look, if you're on the technical side, or if you know web design, you're getting hit up by everybody and their brother to come yeah. join their company yeah. uh, because they want you to work for free. <laughs> That's, That's essentially it. what it comes down to. You're looking at that, going, "I love this idea," but then you may not be thinking at the time. Well, wait a minute, this person has no idea how to start a company, which most people don't. <laughs> Right? Right. To be fair. But on top of that, what do I even know about this person? And then the answer is usually nothing. And then by the time it's time to start asking these questions post marriage, we're kind of in a bowl of shit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Just before before we, we go on, I'd I'd like to go back and just it's this has brought up some feelings for me. Um and I'm remembering the the time at which because in my in my first my, my first company, I did not have a co-founder. I was a solo founder. And once that ran its course and, and the sale was complete and all of that was done and I was ready to start something new, I remember thinking how lonely parts of that were, how difficult parts of that were, how um, unprepared I felt for so much of that. And I decided that when I started the second company that I, I, I would have a co-founder. It was for those reasons, right? It, it wasn't that there was some specific gap that I was trying to fill, which would have been a much better thing. And, and not that not that we don't need emotional support again, but it's like it's like you know marrying the dentist to to, to have uh, straight teeth. Technically, I guess you'd need to marry an orthodontist. I'll correct myself, or the, the carpenter to get the dream house in order to have that level of support, right? And and there are a lot of other ways to to skin that cat, right? Uh, having founder friends joining founder groups, participating in the things like that, where you get that level of support. But that was really what I was after. It wasn't that I looked at it and said, 
I'm incapable of some part of this next business. Wasn't the case at all. I felt totally capable. I just wanted somebody to be along for the ride. Right. Part of it right. was to enjoy the highs together because, and we talked about this in another episode, but like even that can be lonely, which sounds really odd, but like when something right. really great happens, but you're the only one who really benefits from it at a high, high, high level, like you feel it the most, you can't run around shouting about it. Yeah. You reach over to high five and there's nobody there. <laughs> there's nobody there. It's just like, it's the saddest thing ever. You just high five yourself behind your back. So that was really what drove me to having a co-founder. Now being the second time around, you know, I had some sense for, for what I wanted out of that, this, this other individual, but certainly did not give it a, the right amount of thought. We can, I think we can talk about, I can circle back to this experience later in the episode, but I just, as we were here at this early stage, I wanted to go back to like what I was feeling and like the, the trepidation of going through all of this again and just thinking, boy, it'd be nice if there was somebody else who could act as a bit of a shield from some of the stuff for me. It turned out that didn't really work. But we can talk about that later. You know what's interesting, though? I think there's two really different components here that we often kind of smash together with the wrong result. One is I don't want to be lonely, and so I want a co-founder. Perfectly understandable, right? People kind of feel the yep. same way about getting married. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but the second order of that is and this is the right person to serve that role. Yes. Right? What we're saying is, I want to solve this problem. Ergo, anybody that steps into the role solves the problem. And what we're missing is, that's not the case at all. Plenty of people can step into that role, but who they are is, is determinant of, of whether or not that was a good idea. Right. Yeah. Like the Mets, our starting pitcher injured his arm. We're going to need somebody. And I just stand up from the crowd. I'm like, Hey, I, I put me in. Right. That's not yeah, how right. they're going to make that selection. They're going to look at me and go, yeah, probably not you. Yeah. And so part of it is we've never done this before. So we don't have a good sense for why this person fits certain criteria. And at the time, the criteria is I don't have this person and that's it. Right. We just haven't for most of us. We haven't been around the block enough times to understand how painful that bad decision can be. Or yeah. once we're in it, you know, once we're committed with each other, whether or not the fallacies of that person are typical of anybody that we would have had in that role, or they're more specific to that person. You know, Correct. Say the same yeah. thing, and I'll, I'll keep using the marriage analogy. Is the person that I married bad at their job, ergo as a spouse? Or is this typical of anybody that, I, you know, there's just typical friction that happens in a relationship? Sure. We also have to consider ourselves in the equation too. And, and I, will, I will definitely do that when we get to some of my battle stories later in the episode. But I mean, I remember being told as, as, a, as a very little kid, um, if you want to have good friends, you got to be a good friend. Right? And so we, we can't leave ourselves out of the equation either. Well, let's, let's talk about, you know, the equation, kind of yeah, how it plays out. And, and maybe what we'll do is we'll lay it out sequentially. And, and I would open it up with, you know, how do I know whether or not uh, I, this is the right person? And let's open it up with, if you have to ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's usually, yeah, it's usually a good starting point. Now, to be fair, everyone asks the question in some way. You know, hey, you know, could Brian have done a better job at this? Or could Jill have done a better job at this? Sure. But it's a bit different when you come home and you're having more of a what the F kind of question. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's happening day after day after day. Yeah. You start scratching your head going, this is a, this is a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to get out of this thing. And so, Ryan, when you think of like, you know, what are some of the most telling signs going into this? You know, uh, early on, you know, if you have to ask the question, what's been prominent to you or, you know, what sparked it for you? Or what do you see in other founders where you're kind of like, yeah, it's probably time to ask that question. So a couple of things. So I'll start with my own examples. Avoidance was a big one. When I realized that either I was intentionally trying to avoid contact and not serially, right? But like there were periods in time where it was like, I just really didn't want to be in the same room. I really didn't want to have the discussion again. And I was avoiding, or I felt like I was being avoided. That was a, it was right. a really, really telltale sign for me. At the, at the point at which you see very, very different patterns in communication in general, avoidance being one of those, I think it's, it's a good sign, right? If all of a sudden, at one point, everything went to writing, right? It was just email communication, right? Chat wasn't as much of a thing um, back then. We're, we're going back a long time now. There, there were, like, I, I guess I could have AOL messengered. But it just basically all of our communication turned into email, for like a three week period. And I realized like that was really odd. And, and it wasn't obvious. If you were to read the communications, you wouldn't necessarily pick up and say, oh, there's an issue here, right? right. The, the way these guys are talking to each other indicates that there's a problem. It wasn't like that. It was just the fact that it went from, and then we were in an environment where it was quite easy to talk to each other, right? We would pass each other to go sure. send each other emails. <laughs> so, so, you know, changes in communication patterns and communication habit, Avoidance is a big one. I mean, just outright arguing or, or disagreements um, is, is, is another. Something that I see with co-founders that maybe I'm dealing with as, you know, as an advisor, people coming to me, when, when there's a bit of an event, and particularly if I end up talking to more than one of them, I, I did this last year. No, I guess that would be the year before. Not the year that didn't happen. The one that did, 2019. As I was talking to this group of three founders, they were really struggling to see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so they, they kind of came in with this. But had they not even, it would have been obvious because essentially each one of them I talked to spent most of our conversation. I spent an hour with each of them. Each one of them spent more than half the time just venting about the other two. Right. right. And so I'd say, like, you know, if you find yourself when given the opportunity, to talk about anything, right? And that was really what this was about. We were just talking about their company in general, what they could do to right size and, and, and fix a few issues, most of which were just operational stuff. But it all stemmed from the fact that the co-founders were not getting along. And there was, there was some real deep baggage involved in this one. But that's a telltale sign. If you find yourself just like any chance you get, like any open ear, <laughs> you're just going to fill it with vitriol about your co-founder. Right. Probably a good sign, right? Right. Or right. if that starts to come back to you, hey, you know, so-and-so has been, uh, uh, you know, kind of filling my ear uh, about you. These are, these are some of them. But honestly, man, there's so many. There's so many signs that I, I'm not sure that we can cover them in a single episode. Well, there's so many signs, but I would probably split this into two categories, right? I would say one category is personality fit. Right. Just sure, do, we right. Get along? do you get along? Yeah. yeah. When shit goes wrong, like what does that look like? Right. And the second is competency. Now, here's the problem. I don't think when people make these assessments that they separate them like that. In other words, if you're a jerk, you could actually be pretty competent in what you're doing. Yeah. But your personality is so abrasive that you're looking at this co-founder like, oh, you know, you're kind of amplifying everything that they may be off on because yep. you just don't like them. 
Right. Right. Conversely, if you really love them, you're best of friends, but they're kind of slacking. <laughs> yeah. You could often overlook that because you're like, oh man, we get along so well. And you're not really being that objective around whether or not they're actually good at their job. I want to circle back to something that you said right at, right at the beginning of the, of the episode, um, which was that by the time we start to have this conversation, it's often too late. And I think that that is very, very frequently, in, in my case, absolutely was, and in a lot of startups that I've, I've helped navigate this, this sort of co-founder breakup or recovery process, this is where it starts to go wrong because of the personality fit. In the cases where there's a good personality fit, They've essentially said, I'm just going to let that go. I know he's well-intended. I know she doesn't really want to be behaving this way. I know that they want to achieve what they're supposed to achieve. They're just not doing it now. And so they don't have the honest conversation that they should. And they lean on the friendship in the wrong way. Instead of saying, hey, because we're friends, we can have this honest conversation. They're saying, because we're friends... And because I like this human, I trust them enough to eventually course correct and get it right. And I think that's like, that's where it really starts to go wrong fast. Well, you know, I can give you an example of where it kind of went off the rails in exactly me not separating these. So early on, I had a co-founder. Our personality fit was a 10, right? We just absolutely, you know, got along so well. He, he was like a yeah. brother to me. Like, I absolutely loved him. Because we got along so well and we agreed on so many things... I just felt like such a natural fit. But then something weird started to happen over time that I don't, I didn't entirely see as it was happening. It took me a while to, to catch on. And frankly, it wasn't me that caught on. Other people caught on and kind of informed mm. me. After a while, every time I would hand something off, it would get half done or not done properly. And so I would jump in and I would actually finish the work for them, like do their homework for them. Yeah. And then present it together, so to speak. And like, oh, we nailed it, right? Move on. <laughs> but after a while, I mean, like a couple years, I didn't realize that I was actually doing all the work. Right, right. Right? And there was no handoff. It was just me doing the work. Uh, and because we got along so well, there was never any friction to that. And I just kept taking it. And it wasn't until some other people got involved, the team got bigger, that they were like, dude, do you realize you're literally doing all his work? And I was like, oh, actually, oh, yeah, looks <laughs> like I am. Enough, I actually didn't. And then I started to like have this entire, you know, highlight real moment of the past two years. And I tried <laughs> to pinpoint when was it that he actually did something without my help? <laughs> I'm picturing like this montage of like you going into the office and then like That's the first exactly meeting early and like you kind of like smiling your way out, seeing his laptop on the desk and like just going over and like cheerfully picking it up, putting it in your bag, taking it home <laughs> and then working on both the computers at night. This is, this is the picture in my mind right now. And you know what's funny? I felt great about it. Isn't in that other funny? Words, like, I, I, yeah. I wasn't upset. I wasn't like, yeah. oh man, I felt like, man, I'm just being a good partner and you know, and, and that's working great. Again, it wasn't until it kind of got brought to light that I was like, oh, damn. Uh, okay, well, that, that wasn't at all what I expected. And I got, and I got to be honest, had it not been brought to light, I don't know that I would, I would have ever solved it. I would have gone years at that pace. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I was so happy with the relationship. I you know, was so happy seeing him every day. Wow, didn't see that one coming. The, the key point there is, it didn't even occur to me to ask the question. Sure. Which yeah. 
it wasn't until someone, some other people started to ask the question of me. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, okay. <laughs> Damn. Wow. How did I miss that? Well, it like it's like most things we miss as founders. We've never been through it before, and there there was no manual, and we didn't think to look for it. And we were also busy looking at a lot of other things, right? This is, right. This is why this is why having perspective from from someone else, having that founders group to lean on, having you know an advisory group is so important because there's just so many things. Um, and not, not just, I'm not picking on first time founders, like second, third, fourth time, you can still make, there are plenty of mistakes, right? Like the idea that you can make all the mistakes in your first startup. Oh no, there are right. plenty oh, yeah. that you can make well into your career. Plenty um, of and shots and new, new ones get invented all the time as technology changes, the environment changes, the workforce changes, you get all sorts of new challenges. So yeah, you know, it, it's, um, I went through something similar where, again, like the personality fits were, were great. You know, we were, we were friends before, we were friends during, outside of work hours, we, we still hung out a lot. In fact, it came down to, I don't even want to say a competency thing. Um, and, and he certainly wasn't not working. He was doing a lot of work. We were both working a lot. Where it started to, to kind of grate on me a little bit was, I felt like the value of the work that we were doing had completely lost parity and that I had deal. to focus on the really high value stuff. And he was sort of allowed to hide behind some of the, the and I'm going to use a relatively easy operational stuff. It was things that we, we knew, right? It was things that we knew. It was just sort of rinse and repeat. It was work that needed to be done. But at some point I looked at it and I went, I could hire any reasonably competent person and have them doing what he's doing and have somebody else to help me chase down these higher value targets, things that I was, I was struggling to accomplish by myself um, or there were just more of them to chase down than, than one person could reasonably do. So in trying to fix that and trying to remedy that, that's exactly what we ended up doing. We did have the honest conversation. We said, like, look, let's, let's bring somebody in to, to do this. Like, you know, I, I didn't say this work is beneath you. I didn't want to be patronizing, but like, that was literally how it felt. Right. And so he said, you know, like I, you know, how, would you like to focus on some of these other initiatives? Right? We've got these, you know, three or four other things that are just sitting here collecting dust that need to happen that we want to see happen. We agreed in our annual planning. This is what we wanted to see happen this year. And it's not going to happen, right? Be, because you're spending a lot of time on low level operational tasks. So we brought somebody in, and then it sort of shifted to the scenario that you talked about. All of a sudden, there was all this free time for this individual, and they didn't fill it, right? Those initiatives still didn't get done. Things didn't get moved forward. And that was really when, when things came to a head. It was like, okay, I understand you couldn't do this before, but like, there's no reason you can't now. And I was in a position where I could pick up and, and, and do his homework too, right? I was already struggling with my own. And that, uh, that was, a, it was a pretty painful lesson. When you look at it, you also have to imagine that there's no Shangri-La where everybody you work with, you love working with them, and they're just infinitely competent. I mean, it does happen, but generally speaking, what I think a lot of folks, particularly you know, the founders, don't understand is there is compromise to be had here. Right? Are you saying there's no path to transcendental startupism, Will? <laughs> there was. We'd be doing a different show. <laughs> but look, here's where it's a bit of a slippery slope. 
let's say again, you've got these two components that, that you're comparing. One is their personality and whether you like working with them uh, or other people like working with them. And the other is their competency. Yeah. The reality is we're not looking for perfect parity where we just absolutely adore working with them and their competency is one-to-one with us off the charts, right? I mean, again, that would be ideal. It's just not terribly likely. I think people get in the same kind of challenge when they're dating. And they're, they're saying, well, I want the person with, with all of these, you know, perfect stats, so to speak. And until I find them, you know, I'm not going to settle for anything else. Overlooking, of course, that they're the person that's missing half the stats typically. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Said, well, picking nose and scratching. Right, right. Exactly. And so this is the same thing. We have to be hyper aware of what our shortcomings are because that contributes to this challenge. Right. In other words, if we're saying, hey, this person kind of gets upset too quickly, et cetera, eh, what about us? Right. You know, how much of this challenge is being driven by us, which would imply that even if we slot somebody else in after them, right. we're really just going to replicate the problem differently because, you know, because we're looking at it the wrong way. The second thing is the likelihood that their competency in kind of in that bucket, we're going to add things like commitment, you know, being able to see things through, whether they're willing to, to work through the hard stuff everyone's going to have a different version of what that is. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's not like the, I'm fully competent, all in, committed, et cetera, or not. There's just different versions of it. So if you're looking at the co-founder, your co-founder, or maybe a couple of them, in saying they should be as committed as I am, as competent as I am, they should exceed all of my stats. Not really the way to look at it. <laughs> right. Because chances are, you're not going to find somebody else that will too. Maybe you will, and it's, and it's a worthy exercise. But I'm just trying to point out that it's not a given that if you slot someone else in, they're going to magically fix all of those problems. Correct. And I did think, you know, you have to be objective about it. And, and certainly once, you know, kind of once you're in the mix, these things will start to become clear. And I think once you've gone through it a couple of times, you, you become a little more flexible, you become a little more understanding, you become a little more realistic about what you, you, you can and, and should expect. Uh, I also remember being told as, as a fairly young man um, that expectations, having expectations is the, is the fastest path to disappointment, right? And, and there, there is some truth to that. Not, not to say that you shouldn't expect anything of anyone, um, but I think you do need to temper those. This is sort of in the context of having a co-founder. How well can you assess this up front? Right? And I, I have my own thoughts on it, but I want to hear what, what, what you're, you're thinking here, Will, is... As we're entering into, you know, should is this the right person before we've even kicked things off, right? As you're going through co-founder identification, whether you're deciding to to you know to bring on this this technical co-founder so you can build your app, what is the calculus there? The most important part of the calculus you actually can't find out up front. Right. Right? Because you haven't been through some shit yet. You haven't been tested. And that's when you find out who you're actually partnered with. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'll, I'll give you two counterexamples of, of how I saw this through, and I think everybody eventually, whether they like it or not, has to see it through. The first one was uh, when I was running this company, Blue Diesel, the agency, would grown to become a very large agency, and we'd hired a really killer team. The folks on the management team that I had brought in, to actually, you know, this is a good point now that I think about it. The, the, these weren't schlubs. All of these people went on to become CEOs of nine- and ten-figure companies after that, mm-hmm. right? So this was a very legit team. Sure. However, really funny, interesting, kind of get-to-know-you moment. <laughs> Everyone was rah-rah 
the whole time when things were going oh, up yeah. and to the right, oh, yeah. right? Everyone's high five fest, right? And so at that point, it's kind of hard to assess people when everything's going well. Again, I'm going to keep using this analogy because it's so apt. It's kind of hard to, to know who you're really, you know, getting married to when you've only gone on a first dates and, you, and you've had great times, right? You haven't actually found out who the person is. Right. You don't find out who people are until shit goes sideways. For sure. Look, I, Which I, it did. <laughs> like, I'm thinking back to like, just even watching professional soccer, thinking through my, my, own, my own soccer career. The coach isn't doing a whole lot when everything's going well, right? There's very little management or instruction from the sidelines when everything's going great, right? It's the moment when shit starts to go sideways that the manager comes out, or like in the case that you're talking about, they just don't. They just, they just hid. They ran away. The wall of fire appeared, and rather than running through it arm in arm, they, they, they ducked and ran the other direction. Well, that's what happened. Uh, because everything is going great. It's the 90s. You know, you can't do anything wrong. And then at the end, it obviously culminated with the bust. Yeah. <laughs> and the bust hit. What and a all time. of a sudden, what a our business that just couldn't grow fast enough, yeah. I mean, it's just everything was going the way it would, stopped. And at that moment, I start getting these weird calls that I'd never gotten before as a young professional. Hi, Will. This is such and such client. By the way, we can't pay you anymore. Wait, what do you like, mean? That's yeah, I don't understand. Before, huh? right? <laughs> I would come to understand very well in short order. By way of that, clients dry up. This professional services business, so there's there's not it's not very complicated. And by way of that, we have to let a bunch of people go. Yeah. A funny thing happens. <laughs> now all of a sudden, all the people that are in high five mode because we're growing so much are all hidden in their offices. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, all the people that were in it to the end because they only expected the end to be positive were ghost. They were gone. Oh my God. Is this, is, do you think this is, was this the birth of the open office plan? Do you think this is what <laughs> drove all that? Like all of this, this, this trauma at the end of the 90s? Um, yeah, is that dude. what led to the open office? Like you will never be able to hide again. There was a lot of hiding going on. And at that point, I remember walking around the office, looking around. What the hell is going on right now? Again, I'd never seen this before, so I didn't know this behavior even existed. I only seen good times behavior. And now I got to see bad times behavior. Uh -huh. And I got to see that you don't really see who your teammates are, your co-founders or what have you, until they're tested. Right. Until you actually have to, to get pushed on this kind of stuff. That was an example of finding out who people were when they got tested, and guess what? I've never worked with any of those people since. They're all great people, so I'm not knocking them, but it kind of made me realize what I was signing yeah, up for. Yeah. I was signing up for the equivalent of Fairweather Friends. They can go be great people somewhere else. You bet. On the other end, right, a short version of that story is, is me and uh, Elliot, our COO, going through uh, Afford It, which was, was one of our last company together where we raised some money. And at first, again, high fives all around, and you know everything was awesome. And then all of a sudden, we essentially ran out of money, but, you know, we've told this story before. We ran out of money for a long time. In other words, <laughs> we were, like, broke for, like, damn near two years. Yeah. And it was, the, it was the, the longest, most painful death of all time. And we tried to soldier through it, and it just didn't work. But here's what did work. During that time, when everything went sideways, our relationship was solid, right? So I got to see what it was like and that moment where last time everybody ran, you know, and hid in their offices, and he didn't, Yeah. right? He and I just went shoulder to shoulder like he suggested, 
and motored through the wall. Right. And didn't work, by the way. Right. <laughs> but kind of proves the point. So when we were starting startups.com, first thing top of mind for me was, how do I get to work with that guy again? Yeah. Because we got a chance to get tested. Yeah. That could have gone very differently, like it did at the last company. Right. But the point is, you don't know who's really around you right now until you have some, some moment to test them. And I think there's some early points where you can test them. But I'd be curious to kind of think how you picture folks being tested or what that crucible might look like. Yeah, I, I think it depends, of course, like with, with anything. I'm, I'm not trying to avoid a straight answer here, but the it's like in, in my first go-round. I, I think it depends a lot on why you're deciding to do this. Like I said, I just didn't, I didn't want to go through all of it by myself. So therefore, my decision criteria and how to test them was really Will they show up? Will they say yes to this insanity and, and just join me, right? Are they wearing a blue shirt? That, w- that was enough, right? Not, not a good method, right? But that was, that was enough. So I think it, a lot of it has to do with your motivation, and that will, to some degree, define what you're willing to ask. Right? I think I was willing to put on blinders and say, this person may not have the competency or the experience required to do this. Also, I may not either, right? So that was okay. I mean, th- these are startups after all. So I think that, right, because at the very early stage, neither of you may have ever done anything before. And so not going to be a whole lot to lean on. But as you move further forward, and, and you know, the things that I would, I would say I would look at now would be what sort of a track record does this human have, right? Have they started a company before? If not, what did they achieve within the companies that they worked for, right? Did they, you know, are there some accolades we can look at, you know? Are, are, are they well-liked by the people they worked with, right? Is their, their personality, was that a fit for where they were? It doesn't mean that they're going to have a personality fit in your company, new company. But at least, you know, you can, you can do a little bit of diligence and say, okay, Pete was generally well-liked, she was loved, um, or they were despised, right? Good to know. Did they achieve things while they were there? How much control did they have over what they achieved? How much of that was sort of de facto the kind of result that would happen because of the type of team you were leading? So I think there's a lot of things that you can, you can look at. But the, the first place you actually really need to look is at yourself and try to understand, like, what is it I'm trying to fill here, right? Is it a technical deficit? Is it a, uh, an, an area that I'm super uncomfortable in, right? Like, if you're the, the technical founder and you're just really uncomfortable being in front of people, then having another one of your, you know, kind of uh, 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 shy tech buddies, I'm not saying everybody in tech is shy, please don't, don't, don't take it that way, join you, and then, and then both of you be scared to go out and do sales, not a great idea, right? You need somebody who's gregarious. You need somebody who's willing to kind of push that envelope and be out there and, and, and maybe uh, stretch the truth a little bit and then force you to make it true. Um, so I think it, a lot of it starts with some introspection and saying, what is it that I actually need? And what will I tolerate? What, what is it that's going to work for me? What personality do I need to go after? What skills do I need to go after? But to your point, a lot of that's really, really hard to assess un- until there's been some test. And so this is where, you know, you can, you can again, you can lean on some, some third-party research. Talk to them. Ask them, you know, what they've been through, right? Like, look for uh, adverse situations and see how they dealt with them, right? Just listen to how they talk about their, 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 their 
colleagues and their coworkers or their pre- previous co-founders. You'll, you'll learn a lot from that. The, the advice I, that I give to founders is if you haven't picked your co-founder yet or you're in the process of kind of, you know, courting each other, et cetera, go into it thinking this is going to be a total disaster, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. In, yeah. in, in statistically, you'll probably be right. Yeah. But Who but, do I want in the foxhole? There's a couple things that you can avoid if you have that mentality that they're going to blow up on you later. And the second thing we'll talk about is what when you didn't avoid them and that when, you, when things are about to blow up. The first thing is assume that this person probably won't work out. So what are some of the things that I can do to protect myself going in, knowing that there's no way for me to really know whether I've made a good decision or not? One thing is to make vesting a thing. Oh, sure. So that each of you are vesting your stock at the same rate. Could be 24 months. Doesn't have to be a super long time. But the implication is that if you get to, to X juncture and one of you needs to go, you also have invested all the stock in the company. That's a simple one. A lot of people don't think about it, and even fewer people do it, but, it, but, it, but it's a key one. The second one is create some milestones that aren't, hey, let's form the whole company, hard code an operating agreement, and tie both of our bank accounts together. Create some milestones that say, okay, when we get to this point, could be six months out, could be a time milestone. We get to this point when we start to generate some revenue, could be a revenue milestone. We're going to start to take these next steps. You know, again, we'll both sign for some documents together. We'll, we're, we'll both uh, go beyond incorporating company, things like that. And I think if people recognize that they just need to be able to live with that person for a while before they get committed, they'll start to understand that there is a little bit of a way out of this thing. Which brings me to the second point. Once we've already committed, once we've already gotten married, and it's time for the eject button, <laughs> what the hell do we actually do? Yeah. Right? Hide in your office. <laughs> right. And usually by the time we're thinking of this, like we're even thinking this, there's very little chance that the person or persons on the other side of this don't have some inclination the same way. It's, it's kind of rare that one person thinks the marriage is a total disaster and the other person thinks things have never been better. Yeah. Right? You know, usually there's, there's, there's a little bit of parity yep. there. I've encountered a few of those and, and they are always the exception to the rule. Right? It generally, there's, there's, there's sort of a, a known issue, but boy, is it painful to watch the, those, those outlier cases um, and talk to the one who was like, I thought it was going great. And now I've got all my stuff in a suitcase on the sidewalk, right? Like it's, it's bad, but again, it's the exception to the rule. Right. And when that time comes, most people don't know what to do. So here's generally what this, the order of events are when it's time to kind of break up, if you will. One side of it is called what I say is the conversation. Like, how do you even bring this up? And we'll talk about that. And the other are the terms. Like, what terms, yep. like, 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 functionally, how does this work? The conversation is really around saying, we've got to address this, right? We've got to put a pin in this. Because what happens is most of us are so anxious about the conversation that we never even get to the Yeah, terms. yeah, yeah. We, you know, we, we use the term putting the skunk on the table, which is just saying, look, things are fucked up, right? Like, we have to do something about this. What happens, though, is because we don't have the conversation, these things fester and just become worse and worse and worse to a point where it becomes so adversarial that getting to terms later becomes even harder. But let's assume even that's happened. The conversation is as simple as saying this. Hey, here's a couple things that I'm noticing that are kind of making it challenging for us to work together. Here's what you can't do. 
and here's what you did wrong, and here's what you did wrong, and here's yeah, what right, you did wrong. Right, right. The moment you accuse the other person, you broke the conversation. Yep. I mean, so many people don't get nah, that. No, it's no longer a conversation. It's just an argument, if that. Yeah, and if you're doing it right, it's got to be more around, hey, here are things that just aren't working very well. I'm not here to say it's this person's fault or that person's fault. kind of doesn't matter. Either way, the problem exists. Right. Right? Your thing where you're saying you're walking by your coworker and you guys weren't even, you know, exchanging pleasantries. You could just say, look, man, there was a point where we would have a conversation, you know, in the hallway and we don't. Right? I'm not saying that's your fault or my fault. It's just not happening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's indicative of a bigger problem. It's exactly how it went down, actually. So it was, man, we used to get beers like every third night. And we haven't had a beer together in a month. Probably time we sit down and have a beer, right? And we both knew what the, what the undertone of that was, right? We both knew that, there was, that it was more than just like, gosh, it's been a while since we've had a beer, buddy. Let's go get a beer. There, there, was, there was definitely some writing between the lines. But that's how we got back to the table to have the conversation. And a beer. Right. And sometimes the conversation is as far as it goes. Sometimes the conversation is, man, you know, we really just needed to, to air some stuff out. Yep. And, and ideally that's the case and, and you, we kind of work through some resolution and we move on. Sometimes though, it doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> it, you know, it, it, bought us, it bought us another year. Yeah, that was, yeah, right, it bought right. us another Sometimes year. that conversation ends with, you know, I hate you and I hate you and what are we going to do about it? Couple things to note because now we get into the terms. Terms are different for a million different companies, but here are the things that are very consistent. The first is if you're the one initiating, hey, I think we should part, you always have to initiate it with, and this is why it's a good opportunity for you. Right. Right? Here's, here's what people, here's the typical order of events, and this is just always ends well. Oh, terrible, rather. Um, here's the order of events. Hey, you messed this up, this up, this up. I'm pissed off. I think you should be out, and here's what you know, and here's what you get, right? Which just triggers all the wrong responses, right? It triggers them being defensive, yep. them being angry, and them saying these terms are bad. I just want to stick it back to you, right? It is not the way to do it. The terms should be here's here's what I think are are wonderful terms, right? And I want to make sure you feel good about them too. Yeah. And now that doesn't mean they're going to agree to them. Yeah. But what you I'm have not to always be dealing with the is, rational human on the other side of the table. 100%, right? You know, they could say, hey, I'm just pissed about how this is going. So any terms you throw at me are going to be terrible, right? But you still have to get through this conversation. The terms always have to be, and here's why I think this is a, a great opportunity for you. And you're not just sugarcoating it, you have to come up with terms that anybody would be like, damn, I'd be an idiot to pass on those, right? which means you probably have to give up a little bit more skin than you're typically comfortable with, right? This isn't the time to be a hard ass. Now, some people, that's not their personality. Some people are a hard ass, right? Every lawyer ever. <laughs> and and, and yeah. they're like, no, you know, this is what's fair. This is what's right. And that person can go F themselves. And, and so I'm driving it through. And look, sometimes that works. It's, it's not what I recommend. But typically what I look for is how can we create a breakup whereby how we're going to split actually benefits you. We're getting a better deal than you thought you'd ever get, right? And put it in those terms and try to look through things through their eyes and say, man, I'd be surprised if someone was that generous with the deal. Again, not everybody's willing to do it, but that's how to coax the terms into a direction where you want that outcome. Yeah, yeah. The, the other, the other uh, I'm not sure if I want to call it a technique 
another angle there is to look at what else that person would like to be doing and get them to focus on that for a bit. Because especially in the entrepreneurial world, right, very rarely do we not have some other thing in our mind, maybe from some days past or, or current times, there's always another shiny ball to chase, right? We, we know this. It's actually a problem for, for a lot of founders. And, and that's somewhere you can also lean on a bit, is, is trying to understand, like, especially if you're in that case where they've checked out a little bit, there's probably a reason for that, right? And it may not be as simple as there's something else that they want to be doing. Maybe burnout could be a lot of things. But um, in, in, in a lot of cases that I've dealt with, it does end up being that the, the other founder who's now checked out a bit, there's something else that they wanted to be pursuing, right? And they're, they're spending more of their time they should be thinking about that. Um, and that can be an interesting lever in terms of kind of getting them to focus on that and be honest about the fact that they want to work on that. And then, you know, giving them good terms and saying, and now this is going to allow you to go do that thing that you actually really want to be doing. And I've seen that play out pretty well uh, more than once. There's a few typical ways people set up these terms. One way people typically set up these terms is they do a divesting schedule. Yep. You've got 33% of the company. I get it. Uh, that doesn't need to change today. But understood, this is the last day you'd be working at the company. So for some period of time, you know, you're not going to have the same contribution anymore. And therefore, the rest of us who are going to be working here full time need to have some incentive to keep doing yep. it. Obviously, if I have 33% and you have 33% and you don't work here at all and I spend 80 hours a week, we don't have the same contribution, right? right. Getting the 33% was was with the assumption that we'd all be working with this you know, to the end. Yep. So by way of that, we'll create a divesting schedule that every, you know, say every year, you give up a couple points back to the company. Look, if we sell next year, you obviously had a lot to do with it going into it. But if we sell five years from now, you don't you don't even remember who any, the people are that worked here, right? So, you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to go to zero, but it could go to a lower amount that reflects you know, less participation and less contribution. Yep, that's exactly what I did with uh, one of the seas, uh, overseas companies that I started. When I came back to the U.S., um, I still owned a significant portion of that company, and we set up a divesting schedule at my at my suggestion. This was another company I started with a friend, um, and I knew I was no longer going to be operational. And we were operating on on a, a profit share basis because it wasn't really a company that was uh, built to sell, nor was it in a market where a sale was really possible. But a large amount of the revenue uh, that was flowing into the company at that time was directly related to my efforts, and and we knew it would continue to be like the the LTV on these clients was 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 measured in in like a decade. We said, okay, let's over thirty six months. Um, will wind me down to just a, a marginal ownership percentage down to 5%. Um, and, and that would no longer include a profit share after the three years either. It was just sort of a, a, a way to keep me nominally in the cap table in case something happened at some point um, and to kind of keep me around as, as a bit of an advisor. So, uh, you know, I, I think people always overlook time as a factor yeah. in doing deals, yep. right? It's like, hey, uh, this person's at 33%. I think they should be at 3%. So I want to take it all today. <laughs> right. And it's like, why? Like, how would that change anything? Right? Unless you're going to sell tomorrow, in which case that, you know, they're not going to give it to you anyway. Yeah. It's still going to take three, five, 10 years for us to get anything done to make that equity meaningful. Yeah. So why not just take that over a longer period of time, make it sting less for them and give us essentially what will be the same outcome. Exactly. Yeah, go back to your, you know, the, the way that you split this, which is there's the conversation, there's the terms. 
The conversation, definitely a Band-Aid you should rip off as fast as possible because it's less painful that way. The terms, definitely not, right? That, that's where you can, you can definitely use, use time as a factor to, to make that a, a less painful, um, uh, kind of uh, less pointed move. Yeah, and it doesn't benefit you what's whatsoever, right? You know, to to blow up on somebody. I mean, again, a lot of people are emotional; they can't they can't help it. But if you were to step back and say, you know, what's the most logical Vulcan way I can approach this? It would be saying, look, I understand there's going to be a lot of emotions. So my job, my job, is to temper the emotions as part of this discussion, right? I don't just get to go in guns blazing and wonder why it's not working. Look, I mean, <laughs> co-founders break up all the time that's not really the the issue here like oh my god we're breaking up look happens all the time the issue is when it comes to co-founders and this thing's not working we need to either be a hundred percent all in or a hundred percent all out any space in between is a total total recipe for disaster That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. 